What is up, K-Corner Podcast? How are we doing today? I'd like to officially welcome you to me starting my journey on YouTube. Obviously, I have 126 episodes in. I'm going to continue to upload on Spotify, Apple Music, all those platforms, but I'm going to transition to doing more videos on YouTube. I don't think all my podcasts will be live audio, or not, sorry, recorded audio. I'm going to try and do a Monday preview um, of the Cincinnati and Michigan game, and I'm going to try and do that live. Um, that should be pretty fun. Maybe it'll be Sunday. I'll keep you guys updated. But because the YouTube account takes 24 hours to be able to live stream on the application, I'm not available and I'm not able to um, upload. So doing a little bit differently here, like I said, I'm going to be focusing on the first half hour of content being put on here, being a YouTube upload, being live, and then all of my NFL takes, all of my uh Saturday college football takes. I'm going to continue to do off stream. So this is primarily for the half hour or so 25 minute segment where I'm going to be previewing the Alabama and Cincinnati game. I'm so excited. So, so ready to start this journey with you guys on uploading consistently. I'm going to be probably doing this maybe once a week or so where I'll, I'll have the audio, but I don't know if I'm going to do the live video capture. So we'll see how this goes. If you guys do enjoy it, like, and subscribe. I have a new YouTube account that I set up, K Corner Podcast, as you're all familiar with. As always, you can look at Twitter and Facebook if you want any updates, anything that's coming along in this way. So without further ado, I'd really like to start um, going through the the data because this is going to be, I think, a closer matchup than a lot of people think. I think we have some recency bias in, in how kind of everything got put together in, in terms of Alabama season. So let's let me stop talking. Um, I will go away from this. And all right, so you guys should be able to see me in that bottom left corner. I'm going to try to do a good job of not um, zooming in too far and stuff like that so you guys can still see the information with me in the bottom while I'm going through this. So first off, what are we looking at here? Alabama Crimson Tide, number one team in the country. Jump Michigan in the rankings went from number three in the country to number one in the country. Um, they're 12-1 and one on the season. Their opponent's record, and so this is kind of where I'm going to get into some information interesting little details. Um, their opponent's record is 89 and 66. It's really important to look at, hey, everyone talks about how difficult the SEC is. Everyone talks about how difficult some of the schedules were. What were their opponent's actual um, schedules? How, how well did they play? And if you see here, um, they were 89 and 66. But then when you look at your power five opponents only playing power five teams, so all of the three non-con games, all of the, the, the crappy little shitty games that you, you tend to have in, in every conference, like Michigan playing Western Michigan and stuff like that. Um, I'm taking all of that out, pulling that out. And so if you look at kind of the schedule against, hey, these are real teams, teams that can recruit, teams that can play with you, not money grab teams. This is what we're looking at at 89 or 15, 44. And then really what I want to focus on is how productive and how skillful and impactful was this Alabama team in their non-conference games and their conference games. So if you look at their conference games, they scored 298 points and 100 and allowed 195. That was in nine games. Um, they only scored 298. So when people talk about, well, 
there's a lot of great success, and we'll go through kind of the stats on some of these guys. How much did they really score in some of these games? A lot of the production came in their non-conference games. I, I have a sheet here with uh, their, their schedule. So if you look, they beat Mercer 48-14. to 14. They beat Southern Miss 63-14. to 14. They beat New Mexico 59-3. to 3. And then obviously the drubbing of Miami, which was 44-13. to 13. And Miami wasn't a good team. I mean, Michigan State kicked the crap out of them and weren't really able to do a whole lot against that team. So that's where a lot of the offensive production and scoring came from. If, if you just look at the screen, I mean, in four games, 254. In, in nine conference games, 298. Now you're expecting to see a dip off, but they only outscored their conference opponents by 103 points. And that includes facing teams like Florida, who was 6-6, six and six, not very good this year. Mississippi State, who was really the blowout. 40 of those 100 points came in one conference game. So when you look at, hey, was Alabama very dominant this year? I mean, just frankly, they weren't as dominant as we're used to seeing these teams be. Um, now scrolling across, we're going to preview Cincy. Um, fun fact about both of these teams is they both played Miami week one. Uh, obviously, Alabama played Miami U, and then uh, Cincinnati played Miami of Ohio. I just thought that was an interesting fact. Like, hey, what's the odds that these teams meet, meet up in the college football playoff, and they both played Miami? I just think that's a little fun fun fact. Moving on, we have Cincinnati Bearcats, 13-0, opponent record. So if you just look at simply opponent record. And, and without all the fluff and stuff, it is 77 and 80. So their conference opponents and non-conference, not just against the power five was, um, oh, this is what happened. It got put on date. I was wondering why that was all messed up. And then, yep, it switched back 10 and 11. Dude, sorry. Um, number 10, 11. All right, this is really starting to freak me out. All right, I got to go to text. Sorry, one second here. Knew something was going to be a little messed up with this. Always, always is, right, when you're doing something for the first time. All right, so like I said, their opponent record was 77 and 80. And then you look at opponent versus power five record. I did the same thing. Obviously, they didn't play a lot of opponents against power five teams. And I... I actually didn't count any of their non-Power 5 games because this record is worse. And I didn't count Mercer's win-loss record. I just didn't count non-Power 5 opponents. And you guys may say, well, that's a little biased or whatever, but uh, go shit on yourself. They played Indiana, who was 0-10 against Power 5 teams. And they played Notre Dame, who was 9-1. Now, 9-1, and and I'm going to get into the Notre Dame game specifically later on, but 9-1 with a close win against Florida State. Um, they almost lost to Toledo. They beat Purdue by two scores, but a pick six at the end really changed the tide for them. So there's a lot of really, really, really close games when you look at this. SMU um, had one win against the Power 5 team. That was their only team that had a win against a Power 5 opponent other than Notre Dame. So their record and their their team was didn't play anyone difficult this year, and they really didn't dominate anyone. And you look at their 10 conference games, 322 to 131, almost 200 points of separation, but a lot of that came in a few games. They played uh, Temple, which they won 52 to 3. They played UCF, which they won 56 to 21, and they beat a uh, really bad Tulane and South Florida teams, 31 to 12 respectively and 45 to 28 respectively. And these are teams that are combined record. Um, I mean, they have, let's see, um, UCF wasn't awful, but 8, 11, 13, 
15 wins between four teams and eight of those come from one team. So not very good. You look at their out of conference, 188 to 76. Um, this includes Indiana team, which they struggled in that game. And that cl- game was a lot closer than the score indicates, which I'm also going to go through. And you look at kind of where this team is. And I think that what ended up happening is people overvalued the win against Notre Dame a bit. And so there wasn't real domination, um, unlike we're going to see when we look at Georgia-Michigan matchups, which there was some stumbling there too, but um, especially on Georgia's end on some really dominating performances. So everyone likes to talk about teams and everyone's like, they may mention a few guys, but who who makes this offense go? What What style do they play? And what are they looking to do offensively, which is a scheme? And, and I think a lot of commentators either take two roads to look at this. If you go to YouTube, you see a lot of people looking at the big number analytics. This is the many yards per attempt. This is how their offense moves. And they're just looking at numbers um, from a lot of team standpoint. And I don't think they talk about the individual players enough. And it's like, I, I love numbers, obviously, like I'm a spreadsheet Excel guy, but at what point do you look at the individual players and how they're impactful and, and, and what they look like and how their team moves the ball? So Alabama is a yards heavy team. You see Bryce Young. 4,323 yards, 68.9% completion percentage. So he's up there almost 69%. Huh, nice. But it's it's very efficient. He gets the ball out of his hands. He has 43 TDs, four interceptions. He doesn't run the ball that much, and he has been sacked this year. Only 31 total rushing yards and three rushing TDs. I think two of those are on QB sneaks, and another one was around the goal line. He isn't really a runner, which is something that you've kind of seen teams that are have really explosive offenses that the quarterback can take off and run. Bryce Young really doesn't do that. He's more of a pocket presence who can get out and run, but he doesn't actively look to run. Obviously, Heisman winner can't speak enough about this thing. This guy puts mo- balls on the money. He's a very efficient guy, and he gets in and out of these throws very effectively. Moving on from that, Brian Robinson, 233 carries on the season, 1,071 yards, 14 touchdowns and 4.8 per carry. So 14 touchdowns is pretty impressive when you look at rushing numbers and how many TDs you want to score. Whenever guys are in the mid to high teens and reaching 20, uh, you know that they're looking to run the ball down in goal line situations. But this is one of those running teams. And this is one of those Alabama teams that isn't a running offense. We saw it last year. I mean, Najee Harris, they could give it to him. That team was loaded. They could kind of do whatever they want with Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and all those guys. DeMonta Smith, obviously. And then you look at, hey, what have past Alabama teams done? And a lot of past Alabama teams have been able to run the ball effectively, use play action, and get it out to their guys. And this is not one of those traditional Alabama teams. So 1,000 yards, yes, but majority of that production was in some of the smaller games. He hasn't really ran well well in, in any of the big matchups. And they've really relied on Bryce Young's arm to gain yards. And I'm going to talk about kind of what that ends up leading to is because this offensive line hasn't really played that well, even though they have top end talent. So wide receivers, um, and this is going to wrap up my offense. I have one more guy to talk about, but wide receivers. I mean, Jameson Williams, he's going to be a first rounder. Obviously, Bryce Young will probably be a first rounder when he goes. Brian Robinson, uh, he's an effective back, but when you look at where where they're at in terms of you know significance, you don't you don't look at Brian Robinson as a guy that's being a change, a game changer, which is why the Georgia Tech running back um, just announced via the transfer portal that he's going to be heading to Alabama after having a very, very good season. So Jamison Williams, 68 receptions. So 68 receptions with a 21.3 average. So this is your shot guy. This is the guy that is going to get over top of the defense. He's a speed. He's a burner. Um, he returns kicks for them. I think he returns punts too, but this dude is 
lengthy, athletic, um, extremely, extremely fast. He has 1,145 yards and 15 TDs on the season. So what do all these stats tell me? Is this is their shot guy? Not only that, but he is the guy that you need to double. This is the double guy. This is the guy that you can't let get over top of you and you can't let Bryce Young have time because 68 receptions on the year and a 21.3 average. I mean, he's averaging 20 yards a reception. He's looking to push the ball down the field. You gotta kind of uh, treat him as as this as this go route guy. If you think he's gonna stutter and stop and get the underneath route, let him get the underneath route because you can't let him get over top of you because he's so fast and you're not gonna catch him. And then John Mechie. I'm mentioning John Mechie, even though he's out injured, he tore his ACL. He's still gonna probably be a second or third rounder, maybe dip into the third a little bit more now because he's injured and I don't know if he'll be able to do all the workouts. But 96 receptions, 1,142 yards, eight TDs, 11.9. So what does this mean? 96 receptions, almost 100 receptions on the year. And he has about the same yardage, a little bit less than Jameson Williams. Well, this is the guy that gets you your first downs. This is the guy that gets in and out of routes. And this is what I'm most scared about with this offense. Is everyone's like, well, Alabama can just pick up right where they left off. They have a bunch of five stars. They, there's a reason why Jamison Williams is a transfer from Ohio State. They were concerned about their wide receiver depth going into this year. Now, there's a bunch of guys, and some of them have been banged up this year, and hopefully they get healthy in the next few weeks or over the course of the last few weeks and going into the game. But the first down getter, the guy that's getting in and out of short contested routes, that's catching the difficult balls, that is reliable, that Bryce Young has a relationship with, that's who John Mechie was. And so when you take a guy like that out of the lineup, it can impact things. Now they do have time to work on it, bring a new guy in there. But we go from 68 and 96 to a guy that has 32 receptions. Slade Bolden, white guy, slot guy. I think he's uh, right around 5'10". He, he's a little bit, he's a little guy. He's a little jitter, jitterbug at times. He's more of a blocker. He's strong. But 32 receptions, 332 yards, two TDs, 10.4 yards, a reception. This is is scary if you're an Alabama fan. Is I think that They'll be able to do a bunch of things against Cincinnati, but this is Alabama's looking at that drop-off when you go to number three, is can a guy step up? Will this offense be able to challenge this talented secondary from Cincinnati, which I know they're not playing against the biggest competition, but they are a talented secondary, which I'm 100% going to get into, but Slade Bolden is your next guy up in the, 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 the windmill, or the next guy up to kind of fill those roles, and then they have tight ends that they use pretty effectively, but It'll be interesting to see how this team really looks. And then their last keep offensive player is their left tackle. He's going to be a first-round draft pick, Evan Neal. And this line, you can't think about other Alabama lines. We can't think of this team as, oh, they're another really, really dominant Alabama team. When I get into these games and these scores, you guys will understand what I'm talking about. So they don't run the ball great. They can pass the ball, but they're out their leading receiver, basically, in receptions and their first down getter. So there, I think there's some concerns, some concerns for this Alabama team. Now, moving on to defense. This defense is aggressive, fast, and loaded, but they sometimes face weird, they, they get into lulls. I think they get lulled into a sense of how good they are and they that can sometimes hurt them will anderson that's the guy that you guys need to know obviously he's going to be the guy disrupting plays left right and center he plays outside linebacker position uh, 91 tackles on the season 15 and a half sacks two passes deflected he is a pass rusher he is a tackle for lost guy he is a fast aggressive um guy who's looking to blow up cincinnati runs a lot of um rpos and 
It's going to be interesting to see how Will Anderson speeds up the decision-making of Desmond Ritter in this matchup. Um, They have a very talented secondary, although there's some young guys in it. Brian Branch, Josh Job, um, 41-38 tackles, not really used in the uh, rush game at all. Seven passes deflected, four passes deflected. Whenever you see those numbers, you think they're getting the passing lanes and teams need to pass on them. Henry Tuolo, um, this guy is their leading tackler, uh, absolute freak linebacker. He's probably going in the third round, um, but he's he's played and he's he was a transfer out of Tennessee. And this guy would really change the way this defense has looked. He only has four sacks, so he's not necessarily getting out after the the quarterback that much, but he's a run stopper. He clogs up that interior. He's a bigger guy. Jordan Battle, another guy in the secondary, uh, 74 tackles on the season. So this is their safety. He tackles a bit more than these other cornerbacks, obviously, but he's more of an aggressive rolling and roaming guy. He only has three interceptions on the year with three passes defended. And then you get to another lineman, Fedarian Mathis, 46 tackles on the year, eight sacks. So this is the guy that you're going to look at on the opposite end of Will Anderson. is If if Will Anderson isn't getting pressured, if Cincinnati goes, hey, we're going to double team this guy and not let him impact the game, expect Fedarian Mathis to have himself a really nice game. And then Jalen Amar Davis is the last guy in the secondary. Um, he has four passes defended, three interceptions. So this isn't necessarily a ball hawking group as much as Cincinnati is, which I'll talk about. But this is a very trained secondary that are able to with the scheme that they're running is they let teams kind of get the under stuff, but they're not looking to get beat over the top. They run a cover three, cover four hybrid, which they've ran for a long time with Nick Saban over there. And they look to keep things in front and play a heavy zone concept. Uh, they will go one-on-one man concepts a lot, but they usually have a man over the top. And I think that you may see a lot more of that to try and ge- generate pressure as none of these receivers for Cincinnati can, I don't think can challenge these guys as much as you'd maybe want them to. I'm going to get Um, You can probably see some games and game stats like that uh, at the bottom, but I'm going to go over that uh, uh, later. So moving on to Cincinnati, I talked about their record, and now it's time to talk about their players. So Desmond Ritter had a lot of talk at the beginning of the year for some Heisman candidacy, and I don't think this guy's as great as everyone makes him out to be. I've watched him play a lot. Obviously, being in the Midwest, being from the Midwest, you get a lot of these Cincinnati games on and, and you watch him because they're playing other Mac schools and stuff like that. And he hasn't impressed me either year that I've necessarily watched him get after it. He participates in a heavy RPO scheme. He threw for 3,190 yards, 65.9 completion percentage, 30 TDs to eight interceptions. He does run the ball a good bit, 361 rushing yards and six rushing TDs. So this isn't a guy that you can abandon at the line of scrimmage. This is a guy you have to follow all the way down. Jerome Ford is their running back, 19 TDs. When they get in the red zone, they shorten up their play calling a whole lot because RPOs are much more difficult to run when the everything's contained. And so they run the ball a lot. 200 attempts this year for 1,242 yards, 19 TDs and a 6.2 average. He has the ability to hit the home run ball. This Cincinnati team is going to try and run against Alabama. I don't know how well that's going to match up, but they're going to try and run. And Jerome Ford is the guy to be paying attention to in this attempt. And this offense, I would say at times scuttles when Desmond Ritter, he has an accuracy waves in games. And I'm going to try and show you some of those games, but he has games where he just simply 
can't throw the ball effectively. He can't make quick decisions, and it slows and stagnates this offense. Usually around the second quarter heading into half, this offense wakes up, and then in the third quarter, they're usually full steam ahead, which is where you see a separation in a lot of these games. Wide receiver, um, Alec Alec Pierce is their leading receiver, 50 receptions, 867 yards, and 8 TDs. Like I said, this offense isn't hugely productive, isn't hugely massive play as like you see some of the stats that Alabama had, two receivers, both over 1,000 yards. But they're effective, and they get their big chunk plays. You see 17.3 yards. They're looking to get RPO schemes where they're getting slant and slot and in go routes on single defenders, and they try and win. And in the in the uh, AC, AAC, they were able to win consistently. Tyler Scott is their second leading receiver, 447 yards, five TDs, as you can see there, 18.3 average. So these two guys are your guys that are your go routes, are your guys that stretch the field a lot. And then Josh Wiley, this is a tight end, but this is someone you need to look at. He is going to get drafted because he's an incredible player player. He's looking and projected as a second to third round guy. 25 receptions, 320 yards, 6 TDs, 12.8. He goes down and he is a guy that they check down to a lot. They late release him similar to how Michigan runs their concept. Sorry, Burp, I apologize. Um, This is definitely, he's a really, really good inline blocker as well. So this is a guy offensively that keeps things churning for him. But Desmond Ritter is, is, is someone who I think with these weapons, I don't know how well they're going to compete against Alabama's defense that is fast and aggressive. So moving on to Cincinnati's defense. Yeah, they are a ball hawking, extremely quick, extremely fast secondary. Joel Bolano, leading tackler, 106 yards, five and a half sacks. He is a linebacker, outside linebacker type edge player. He gets after the quarterback a bit, but this this offense or this defense really sits back in their concepts a lot, doesn't really rush the passer, uses different schemes and multiple schemes to get after the passer. They don't have a guy like Will Anderson that's a pure game wrecker. They do have some really, really good players though. Um, Ahmed Gardner, first or second round draft pick. Ahmed, you may have seen him, Sauce Gardner. He hasn't allowed a TD ever in single coverage in his career. 44 tackles, three sacks. They will bring him on corner blitz. He's an extreme athlete. He is a D1 caliber athlete playing on the Cincinnati squad. Um, he has seven passes defended and three interceptions. You'd be like, ball hawking, what do you mean? He only has three interceptions. That's because teams don't throw his way. He usually locks teams down. So that's why I'm saying that second front seven wise, I think this is a skilled front seven. I think Alabama's line might be able to push him around. But if you think Jamison Williams is probably going to be running up and down, no, there's another first round corner on the other side just across from Jamison Williams. Williams. It'll be interesting to see that matchup. I'm super excited to watch it because Ahmed Gardner hasn't been challenged this year with an elite, elite wide receiver with who they're, uh, with who they played. Uh, Indiana really struggled uh, quarterbacking wise, Penix coming off his injury and Notre Dame doesn't really have that guy. So this is where we're really going to see, Hey, is he a first round guy or is he a second round guy that, you know, was playing against weaker competition and just was very, very good against him. I think I'm going to love watching that matchup. Kobe Bryant, Another secondary, 11 passes defended. Uh, this secondary, like I said, they get in passing lanes. They play a lot of press man. They play a lot of solo ball. And because Ahmed Gardner is so good, they let other guys be a little bit less aggressive because he's basically shutting down whoever's he on in the AAC. And these guys can be a little bit more aggressive because they're going to have secondary help because Gardner is so good. Curtis Brooks, this is another pass rush guy on the outside. Um, 
that, that gets after quarterback. Seven and a half sacks on the season, which isn't bad, but uh, this is a pure rusher. He's athletically, I think he's 6'6 in a freak. It'll be interesting to see how this pass rushing group lets up between uh, or against an offensive line against Alabama that isn't necessarily great. And Arquan Bush is another guy in the secondary. So Gardner, Bryant, and Bush are the three dudes to really look at that they're very skilled in uh, Bryant and... Uh, uh, Bryant and Bush are not upperclassmen. I believe they're both sophomores. And so it'll be interesting to see how this group kind of handles playing against a higher level caliber of receivers. But six passes defended, three picks. This is a turnover heavy squad. I have a in the top right corner up here if you see my green little box. Third overall in turnovers. They have 18 picks on the season, 15 forced fumbles. And you look over at this Alabama team, they have 15 picks on the season, five forced fumbles. So even though Will Anderson has 15 and a half sacks, not a lot of turnovers. The 33rd overall in turnovers. And, and that's, you can live and die by turnovers. I don't think turnovers are necessarily the implication of a very good defense. I think it's an in indication that your team uh, uses turnovers and they play a specific brand of football that, that allows them to do that because um, the way that Ahmed Gardner plays, a lot of these other guys can go after and get it. Um, Majai Sanders is an edge rusher. He's an athletic freak. He's been on and off injured, so hopefully in the next few weeks he can... Um, um, let me close this. I don't want to see any of these updates. Sorry. Um, if you look at who this Alabama or Cincinnati team is, is they're not necessarily a pass rushing fiasco team. But if Majai Sanders gets healthy, he only had 15 tackles and two and a half sacks. This is a guy that can get after the quarterback. He has long, lengthy arms, five passes defended on the year. And this is really the game ruiner, the game wrecker that could be for Cincinnati. Like I said, he's projected probably a first round and that's who we're going to be seeing kind of, hey, if someone can make a big difference, if someone can take a step and the Cincinnati team has a chance, it's going to come from their defense getting turnovers. It's going to come from their defense playing consistent, getting pressure on um, Bryce Young. And it's going to come from at least, at least Ahmed Gardner shutting down one of the receivers. So now I want to look at key games because I can talk about all these stats and what are the games? What are the actual physical games, tough games, close games where they needed to get, you know, needed to get it. So Alabama, it starts off, let me, I probably have to scroll up a little bit more. Yeah. So Alabama, they've had a lot of close games and that's what I want to make sure everyone knows. This is not a blowout every single team, Alabama team. This isn't last year's Alabama team. This is an Alabama team that struggles on the road, it seems, and isn't necessarily great in neutral site games. So Florida, this is Bryce Young's stat line. 22 of 35, 240 yards, three TDs, two sacks. It was a 29 to 31 game. So they're, they played Florida. Florida has a capable offense, not a great offense. And they let up 29 points. Um, he was sacked twice in this game. Um, their offense, they got up really big early. I believe it was 14-0 in the first quarter. And they didn't finish games. That's something that's a product of this culture that's in Alabama. Is they haven't finished many, many games, especially when they think they're much better than their opponent and they get up early. You saw it in Miami where they kind of shut down. You saw it against Florida. Um, and you saw it against LSU, where LSU still had a chance to win, even though Alabama was playing much better. Um, Arkansas, Bryce Young, 31 of 40. So 
you know, they're really going after attempts here. You see, you see these attempts, 559 yards, five TDs, but he was sacked four times. So he had all of that offensive production, 559 yards, five TDs, and they scored 42 points and 42 points is good, but that Arkansas defense isn't, isn't great. And they relied on the arm of Bryce Young, his accuracy, him being able to do it 31 of 40 is incredible, 559 yards, able to take shot, 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 but still only 42 points. That's a lot of yardage for only 42 points. If you're getting 550 yards, you think you'd be getting, you know, 50, 60 points. Um, and I think that a lot of teams kind of play this this Alabama team as, hey, don't let them get their shots, play everything in front and try to make them force stuff in the red zone with Bryce Young. Um, A&M, this is the game they lost, 28 of 48 Um Four completion, 369 yards, three TDs, interception, sacked four times. They score 38 points. Again, a lot of yards, 369 yards, three TDs, INT, um, but 28 of 48. And this is the real, the only game outside of Auburn where teams have really slowed Bryce Young down, not being able to complete their passes. And it was their one loss. Get in those throwing lanes, rush them up with pressure. Four sacks. This is the stat that I want you to look at. Four sacks. They disrupted his timing. They disrupted everything that was going for him and end up losing a very, very close game um, where they had a chance to win at the end. But Bryce Young was not consistent in this game. A lot of people questioned Bryce Young after this game, said that he failed, he missed some open receivers, stuff like that. And getting a younger quarterback off of his feet, uh, he's very similar to C.J. Stroud in this, is forcing him to move, forcing him to you know, make quicker decisions. And, and you can see some some bubbles in this in this uh, lineup. And we go LSU, 24 of 37, 302 yards, three t- or two TDs, zero INTs, four sacks. Again, when he's getting sacked and pressured, 20 points. Your quarterback throws for 302 yards and two TDs and you only have 20 points. This is what I mean when the run game isn't necessarily there in their big game. The running back may have a thousand yards, but it isn't impacting in these important games. They're solely relying on Bryce Young. And I think that a lot of things when when you just look at stats and they say, oh, Alabama has a nice run game. I think they're thinking about past people because Alabama's run game is not good and isn't used at all in these SEC matchups. They're literally relying on Bryce Young here. Auburn game, 25 of 51, less than 50% completion percentage, 317 yards, two TDs, and INT, seven sacks. And if Auburn had a better offense, and if, if Bo Nix was more capable, or Bo Nix might have been injured. Yeah, Bo Nix was injured. Um, if they had a more capable offense, Auburn, I mean, they win this game. They held Alabama, and it was really Alabama scoring points, and it went into four overtime. So this wasn't even like really the official. I think it ended 14-14 or like 13-13 at the end of overtime, and then they had to go for two and scored in overtime games. But seven sacks. This uh, this offensive line got absolutely mauled. Bryce Young holds on to the ball for a long time, and when you can't run the ball against this team, uh, if you can't run the ball against this uh and against defenses, I think that you can start rushing the passer more aggressively. I think you see that through a bunch of different ways. And then you can get after Bryce Young, who, like I said, like he can run and he can maneuver, but he isn't a running quarterback. And then in Georgia, right? Everyone talks about the beatdown of Georgia. What ended up happening? Georgia, 26-44, 421 yards, three TDs, zero sacks. That's that's the key here. Zero sacks. All of these games are close except for this one, and it's a big matchup against Georgia. And these numbers aren't, you know, much better than some other games. You look at Arkansas, you look at AM, you look at um, LSU, like 302. He did have a lot more yards here, but what happened? There was a pick six that you got to remember. They took points often and early, 
And it became a blowout because Georgia had to keep going for it. They were gifted 10 points in this game. So this game was a lot closer than it indicated because you had a pick six. You had Georgia go for it from their own, I think, 28 or 30 yard line. And both of those converted into 10 points. So those were like 10 points. And I'm not saying that, but this offense, we have to recharacterize on how efficient and how big it is. It, it scored a lot against really bad teams. But when you look at these matchups, Florida is stagnated. Arkansas, I won't say it necessarily stagnated. They went back and forth there. A&M, it stagnated. LSU, it stagnated. Auburn, it stagnated. And in Georgia, they scored on five straight possessions and, and didn't score the rest of the game outside of the pick set, or outside of a field goal at the end on a turnover. So like this offense isn't necessarily great, and they are relying solely on Bryce Young here. He's, he is averaging 410 yards in all their close games, three TDs, Four, uh, 0.4 INT, almost four sacks a game. And if you take that Georgia game out, it's probably closer to five, four and a half, five. And they're only scoring 32 points a game. So their quarterback is scoring 21 points himself, right? And they're only averaging 32 total on average. And their d- team is letting up 27.2 points per game. I mean, teams are able to score against them. And these are not great offenses. You look at LSU and Auburn. Those are not great offenses they were able to score. You look at Florida, not great offenses, and they were able to score. Arkansas and A&M are good offenses, but not great. And Georgia is in great offense. I think that they haven't really faced a, a top-tier offense this whole entire year. You can talk about Tennessee, but I think Tennessee... Um, picks on teams that they're much better than versus, you know, teams that they aren't as good as. I think they struggle on getting those RPO schemes out and they have defended RPO schemes well this year. And so it should be an interesting matchup, but this team isn't tremendous defensively, 27.2 points. Now they get some blowout games and their defense looks a little bit better. But when you get down into the tape, this team is lining up a good bit of good amount of points and, and they're not scoring at a high clip of 410 yards, right? If, if your offense, and this is kind of what Ohio State has, is they're, they're able to march the ball down the field, but then in the red zone, when windows tighten, they set or f- settle for field goals a lot, which this team is very good at doing. The Cincinnati team is very good. So when some people say, oh, it's going to be a blowout, I think this could possibly be a matchup. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be you know 100% a win, 100% it's going to be a blowout, but I'm just saying that we can't give it up because Alabama comes into this game coming off their highest win of the season that they feel great about right? Anytime you feel, you know, you win your biggest rivalry, you you win your playing game, you you have so much emotion, you get off your high, and oh, we just got Cincinnati, this AAC school. Now, Nick Saban, you know, for a long part, uh, talks about this a lot, that because you're at Alabama, the media, you know, feasts the flames of, hey, your team's so good, your team is this and that. And I, I don't think that you can necessarily dictate that, hey, yep, that makes sense to me. So, I kind of want, we kind of sometimes got to take a step back on, hey, we're, 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 we're pushing this team up a little bit when it, they aren't necessarily not, not that good, but I'm just saying that you got to pump the brakes a little bit because the story indicates that, hey, let, like, let's not forget that some teams have really done some things against them. And now we have Cincinnati. Sorry, I'm just going to look at how, how long we've been going. Um, Oh, we're already past 34 minutes, so this is a bit longer. Um, And then I'm going to give you guys an overall recap on what teams need to do and stuff like that. But digging into the numbers again, we're looking at the the big games and the close games for the Cincinnati squad. So Indiana, Desmond Ritter was 20 of 36, 210 yards, one TD, one INT, two sacks. Pretty pedestrian storyline. They end up winning by 14. But if you watch that game, I think Indiana got stopped in the red zone four times. 
Um, three of them they didn't kick field goals on. So this this game really was a lot closer than 14 points indicate. I think a late pick six. I think they had four turnovers. Uh, Indiana did in this game, which is in, in part to a very aggressive defense, but Indiana wasn't a very good team, and they played the Cincinnati squad really, really, really close, and I think at the time we thought Indiana was going to be pretty good, and they marked it up as a key win. Notre Dame, 19 of 32, 297 yards, two TDs, zero INTs, one sack. Now, what we have to indicate is that this Notre Dame team is not the same Notre Dame team at the end of the year. And even the Notre Dame team at the end of the year didn't play anyone. And this was really the matchup that people are like, oh, Cincinnati has to be in the playoff now. This Notre Dame team was playing like four or five different guys. If you listen to Tommy Reese, he was on a podcast, uh, um, Chicago Barstool, Chicago one, which those guys are really funny and great. If you haven't checked them out, I'd recommend checking them out. But Notre Dame, 19, like he wasn't great. And this offense was a great, and this team is, 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 important and then they rely heavily on their defense getting stops their defense giving the ball I think two more interceptions in this game I think they're averaging I, I looked it up um I didn't end up adding it but they're averaging something along the lines in all these games like two and a half or three turnovers and that's good but when you start playing better teams like Alabama who aren't prone to turning the ball over really at all um things start to tighten up here and that's some of the things that we have to in, uh, indicate now we have Navy Navy, 18 of 30, 176 yards, two TDs, one INT, one sack. I mean, Navy had a chance to win this game. Navy wasn't very good this year. Um, and I think this is two parts into Cincinnati. Not, I don't think they're a great team. Honestly, I don't, I don't think they're a very good team. I think they've been overvalued all year because of an early win. I think that if they're any other team in the country um, and they aren't ranked high at the beginning of the year, they don't get in. Um, I think if Oklahoma State wins, Oklahoma State gets in. And I think that this game could either go one of two ways. Is that we see that Cincinnati is exposures or Alabama doesn't take them seriously. Because there's nothing to show from the numbers that this Cincinnati team is great. And that's why the number in, in, in line is 14. Now, I will say some things that Cincinnati can do to disrupt them. But I just don't think it's been proven. Tulsa, 15 of 23, 274 yards, 2 TDs, 1 INT, 3 sacks. Like, Desmond Ritter isn't great in these big games. He, he doesn't show that he's an elite arm talent. I mean, their offense is scoring. They didn't score 40 in any of these games, and none of these teams are great. Um, their defense, who a lot of people say is very, very good, is still allowing 19 points a game against a pedestrian schedule. Indiana, who is an awful offense, scored 24 on this team. Granted, that was still when Michael Penix was in the lineup. But it's not like they were great, and they moved the ball very efficiently on this Cincinnati squad. Houston, he was 11 of 1,790 yards, three TDs, and one sack. So he's averaging in these matchups 229 yards, two TDs, uh, 0.6 interceptions, and 1.6 sacks. I mean, obviously pressure hasn't been on him, and I don't think that you can look at the squad and think to yourself, hey, this is a squad that deserves to be in the CFP. They haven't played well all year. They haven't blown anyone out. I mean, if you look at their lineup and you look at who they blew out, you, like I said, UCF, they, they ran a train on. That was the only winning team that had a winning record um, that was at all good that, you know, that they blew out. I mean, everyone else, I mean, East Carolina, 35-13, that game was close going into the second half. I mean, Houston's pretty good, 35-20 um, in the championship game. Oh, they did blow out SMU. I didn't add SMU, 48-14. They won eight. SMU's 8-4. and four. Not, not, a, not a horrible team. Pretty good SMU squad. But when you look at who who this team is, is they are a 
team that has busted coverages sometimes. Defenses can go over the top of this team. Ahmed Gardner is by far their best player on this lineup. They don't generate pressure from a single pass rusher, and I don't think that bodes well for matching up with Alabama. So this is where my prediction and stuff are going to come in. Now, I'm not a, a sports betting guy. I'm not. Don't take this advice to be sports betting. I am a guy giving you guys information. I just wanted to kind of shine a light on, hey, who, who are players to watch? Who are guys that I need to be aware of when watching this game? If I'm looking to bet this game, where where would I kind of look to see some indications on, on where we're at? So Alabama is a very singular team. They need to pass the ball, which bodes well for a Cincinnati Bearcats team that has some very good, very aggressive cornerbacks. If a team is going to throw the ball 40 to 45 times, there's more likely going to be some interceptions and some forced fumbles and some strip sacks and stuff like that. So that bodes well for Cincinnati. What I do think, though, is that Cincinnati hasn't faced a line, even though Alabama's line isn't very good. I don't think they faced a rushing attack at the same level as Alabama has. Alabama ran the ball decently effective, 100 yards, like 4.5 carries against Georgia. I think that this Alabama team is going to game plan to take the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. You do not want to throw a ton on the secondary. Are there yards to gain on the secondary? Absolutely. But this secondary is so ball hawking that they're going to get turnovers and their linemen get their hands up really, really well. So I think Alabama is going to go into this team running the ball effectively, hoping in in play action passing, and hoping that they can get Jamison Williams open. They don't have another huge receiver. Now they have a plethora, and this is not to get confused, they have a plethora of really talented guys sitting on that bench that were playing behind, you know, a first and a second slash third round pick. So there's guys there, but can they develop the same connection that John Mechie has, or does their offense take a step back? Now, Alabama defensively, They're going to get after the quarterback. They're going to try and ruin the rhythm of Cincinnati's offense. If Alabama can do that, which with Will Anderson and and Fedarian Mathis, I think they can get after um, Desmond Ritter and put put him under pressure. And Ritter struggled in some of these matchups. It wasn't necessarily just the sacks because he's pretty athletic. It's getting him off of his line, getting him off of his timing that really affects the way the Cincinnati Bearcat offense can push the ball because they want to run a ton of plays. They're the Tennessee type. And and so I think this defense matches up extremely well to stop the Cincinnati team. So I think points are going to be at the premium. I I, I don't think that this is going to be a blowout in the terms of it's 42 to like seven. I think it's going to be a blowout where Alabama ends up rolling in the second half um, and taking over with their supreme dominance physically. And I think that you can kind of see uh, a mesh point where it's going to be kind of how it's like a 14 to three or 14 to seven game at half. And then Alabama ends up rolling away with it just because of the physical aspects and these cornerbacks getting, end up getting burned. They get a little grab happy, a little bit pass happy. And this, this, this Alabama team is coached really well, but I can also see this happening is that Cincinnati finds some big plays. They, they're a big play-finding team. They, they gash you in the run game, they spread you out, and they're looking to get one-on-ones. And they look to get shots. Like I said, 17 and 18 yards a carry, six point, or 17 and 18 yards per completion, 6.2 yards per carry. So this is a team that gets shots, get, gets huge plays. And Cincinnati could take these shots. And if Alabama's offense gets into a, a rhythm of having to throw the ball, if Cincinnati's front seven can stop them, can, can come in there and force them to become singular dimensional, force them to throw the ball 50 times, you're going to get a few turnovers. You're going to get a few chances and opportunities, and you have to pressure the quarterback. Georgia thought that they could get pressure with four, and it did not work. And Bryce Young had time and diced them apart. Cincinnati, if, if they want to win this game, has to pressure Bryce Young. Get 
get him off of his line because this line has shown that they can do that. And I think where Alabama's defense is very well managed to stop this uh, Cincinnati Bearcats defense. I think the Cincinnati Bearcats defense is well managed to stop this team who's only averaging 32 points in these big matchup, these big conference games. And, and, and when you really look at it, a Georgia game that had zero points, but you look at this stretch near the end of the season, right? Going into crunch time, LSU and Auburn, 20 and 24 points and 24 points in like four overtimes. Those were the two times where this offense got kind of figured out. They became stagnant. They relied on 48 throws, 37 throws, 51 throws. And look at the sack numbers, four, four, and seven. That is what you have to try and generate against this Alabama Crimson Tide group. Now, are they going to be ready to play? Most likely. Are they pro- could they come out and absolutely shit stain on the Cincinnati Bearcats team? Yes. Do I think that's going to happen? Who knows? But what I will say is that everyone who wants to immediately write this game off is Cincinnati is a team that is designed to go after a team that wants to throw the ball 50 times. They're designed to go after a team that lets some pressures because they're going to dial up weird, unique pressures because they have skilled guys on the outside that can manage the ball. And I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. And I think a lot of people are counting out the Cincinnati Bearcats team too early. And I'm not saying this is going to be a close game, right? I'm not saying that I think Alabama dominates, uh, but is like 14-7. There's some red zone struggles at this Alabama team that no one wants to talk about, that no one wants to talk that when you have 559 yards, 42 points, 369 yards, 38 points, 302 yards, 20 points, 317 yards, 24 points, 420 yards. And guess what? They were gifted 10 of those points. So really they scored They moved the ball down the field and scored 31 points on 421 passing yards and three TDs. This is not an efficient Alabama squad. A lot of their numbers get blown up because of -of out-of-conference play. So when you look at who they face, I don't think that this Alabama team is as good as everyone makes them out to be. We're recency biased. We're like, they had to be good. Obviously, they're good because we, when they played Georgia, they looked so good, but it's like, when they get on the main stage and they're playing an opponent that no one thinks is better than them, that they're 14-point favorites against, does this Cincinnati Bearcat team shock them? I think there's an opportunity with the way that they match up, with the way, but it's going to come from INTs, good field positioning, and Cincinnati taking points. If Cincinnati gets aggressive and, and doesn't take points, now you're going to have to score touchdowns, I agree, but like if you get a turnover and, and you take a shot play, you miss on it, and you're like in the 20-yard 20, 20 line, you run the ball, you do all these things, and you're in field goal range, which Cincinnati has an awful kicking unit, by the way. So it'll be interesting to see how aggressive they get during this game because their kickers sucked this year. I think they're on their third kicker, and they missed a few field goals in the Houston game too. So that's another thing is that Alabama hands down has special teams. I think defensively they both match up decently well. It'll be, does Bryce Young have time? A, and, and does Jamison Williams get open? Because I don't know down the line, unless we get introduced to someone, on who's going to win in and out every single rep. That is make them singular dimensional, force them to throw the ball a lot, be grab happy, don't let Jamison Williams get behind you. That's the that's the sand pat for how Cincinnati wins this game. For how Alabama wins this game is make Desmond Ritter's life terrible um, and don't let up the big play. They're, they're, they're both big play offenses. They both push the ball down the field. But this Desmond Ritter squad can look inept at times against Houston and Navy and stuff. So I think Cincinnati's a little overvalued, but I think that their defense could stand up to this Alabama Crimson Tide offense who's getting overvalued over a one-game little instance where they had good field position the entire time because their defense played well. And does this defense shut them down? I think they do. I think if I had to give a score prediction, I would say it's in the mid-20s. 25 to like, not 25, but like 27. Uh, They settle for two field goals. 
so they don't get to 28. Like 27-14 is where I think this game probably ends. Um, and, and maybe I'm going to be wholly wrong, but the way that this Alabama team scores, it isn't, they don't score well and they get slowed down in the red zone. And I think losing a guy like John Mechie also hurts that. Now, return game, I mean, Cincinnati might want to punt it out of bounds every time and kick it out of bounds every time because uh, Jamison Williams is a real threat to score every time he touches the ball. So I thank you guys. I really appreciate um, you guys tuning in. Um, Let me know if you guys like this. Like I said, uh, my new YouTube channel is coming out, but I appreciate everything and all the support that you guys have given me. So you guys have a wonderful Christmas season as you guys listen and upload on this podcast. My job here is done. We ran about 45 minutes. I appreciate you guys. As always, you have a wonderful Christmas season. And uh, the corners have been painted, but you can check out the rest of my review where I do predictions and stuff like that uh, on Spotify. What is up, guys? Um, I'm I'm continuing to go here. I I know for some of you, if you uh, got done with my YouTube video and you wanted to listen to the rest of it, here it is. Like I said, I was going to run long, 30 five, 40 minutes, probably a little bit longer than I necessarily even wanted, but it, it's the season of giving, right? And I'll give you guys a little bit more content. Um, so we had um, a bunch of bowl games. Uh, we had bowl games yesterday. Uh, Miami of Ohio beat North Texas in the Frisco Classic, 27 to 14. And Florida, the SEC, the vaunted SEC that everyone said, oh, look how many teams won bowl games and we can't look at uh, a Florida team that's struggling, blah, 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 blah. Florida didn't look as good as UCF. UCF looked much better. So the only thing that I can kind of say about this is I don't think Florida is the same team they were at the start of the season. I think they have been injured and plagued with COVID. But this Florida team in the SEC isn't as vaunted as we once thought it was as UCF ends up upsetting Florida, which is a pretty good indication that if Cincinnati has a chance, is Florida played Alabama tough and UCF, you know, transitive property if you believe in that. But Let's look at Saturday's game here. Um, Georgia State versus Ball State. Um, I'm not even going to tax act Carmelia Bowl. Not going to really talk about that. Don't know the teams well enough, but check it out. It's at 12.30 my time, so 2.30, I believe, um, on ESPN. It's on tomorrow, Christmas Day. Monday, um, just because I won't be able to give you guys a podcast, Western Michigan versus Nevada in the Quick Lane Bowl. Um, this is going to be a really good matchup. Um, I don't know how many of you guys watched Western Michigan this year, but Western Michigan is extremely good offensively. They're able to push the ball in and out uh, routinely. They can throw the ball um, really well, but they can also run the ball a bit. But really where it starts off is their quarterback and then their receivers. Um, most most importantly, Sky Moore, who's an extremely talented uh, guy. Next, we have Boston College in East Carolina. I think this is going to be a little fun matchup. It's the Military Bowl presented by Periton. Uh Periton, yeah. Um, Boston College had an up-and-down season. Uh, and they really they really looked to run the ball, and the same thing goes for ECU. I think Boston College's best moment is their defense, where ECU really has a much stronger offense. So it's going to be one of those really good defense, really good offense, and who ends up winning that one. Like I said, some of these bowl games that I don't know super, super well, I'm not going to go into in a whole lot of depth. Um, but Tuesday, Tuesday's where bowl week kind of starts, a much, much better bowl slate. And I'm going to talk about those games on Monday, but we have the weekend in the NFL world. Um, Browns and the Packers play tomorrow. Um, Browns reeling Packers are white hot. Now the Packers clinched playoff. Um, they're currently 
far and ahead in first place. Um, they really want to win this game because I think they can separate and then play some of the backups going into the last few weeks of the season and get healthy. I think the Packers end up blowing this Browns team out who's struggling with injuries or seven and a half point favorites. Yeah, pretty good indication. Colts and Cardinals Christmas Day here in Arizona. I'm not going to this game, but the Cardinals have looked pedestrian. And what I figured out in this NFL season, the NFL season been crazy. Teams who looked really bad end up winning and teams who looked really good end up winning. And what I've kind of found out is that as soon as you think you know something, as soon as you think you know anything about this season, just assume the opposite. Sorry, I had to take a sip. Maybe I'll do some ASMR when I'm going after it. But, um, sorry, I had to take a sip and then write down um, some notes real quick. But Cardinals, Colts, but like I was saying, I think Cardinals end up blowing the Colts out. It's a one-point game. Cardinals have been playing shit the last two weeks. Looked like a completely different offense. Kyler Murray's been running for his life. Colts have been playing the best football this season. This would be a huge win for them as the uh, Titans end up picking up a huge win last night, I believe. Yep, Titans end up picking a huge win. Colts absolutely need this win to stay in contention and for playoff. And so it just seems like the Cardinals will win. That's the only reason. It just seems like the Cardinals win this game. Um, Jonathan Taylor and this Cardinals team got exposed in the run game against the Lions. So this could be a long day for Cardinals fans if that rush defense doesn't get figured out because Jonathan Taylor may ran, run for 300 yards. Um, Lions and Falcons. Um, I hope the Lions don't win this game, and I know people are like, well, who cares about draft picks? We need to win games. I mean, I'm so sick of winning consolation prizes. I mean, people say, oh, well, uh, it doesn't matter where you draft pick. I remember the Lions winning a game, falling out of the top two, end up picking Jeff Okuda at four. Okuda has played like a total of 10 games. Not to say he's a bust, but we're entering bust territory for him. And Chase Young was there and had an opportunity to get picked up on a Lions defense that needs rush and is last in the league in pressure rate and sacks. So... Draft picks are important. Don't fool yourself. I hope the Lions lose this game. The Falcons play well. Um, Ravens, Bengals. Uh, Ravens have lost. They've been playing well. They won a game, lost two games really close here. The AFC uh, North is very, very tight. It's Bengals home game. Bengals have already won this one. If they've won this one. They're in the front seat for the AFC North title. Um, Bengals are three-point favorites. I like this Bengals team going up against the Ravens. They played them earlier and absolutely dominated. Uh, I don't think the Ravens cornerbacks are are that good, and this offense has an opportunity to put up a bunch of points. But this Ravens offense is looking at it in this Bengals. I think this is going to be a high-scoring event. If I were a better, I would pick the over in this matchup. Let me see what the over is. Um, Over-under is 45. Absolutely. I'm taking the I – may, I may actually bet on this just because of how well every both of these teams have been playing. Um – Jamar Chase, obviously, with a 1,000-yard season. Who's out? Um, Puka Williams, uh, Fred Johnson, Mike Thomas, Drew Sample, Mitchell Wilcox, Dalian, Josh Oliver, Brandon Stevens, Devin DuVernay, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have any reason to think that any of those guys are going to hurt any of these offenses. So I think Bengals in a close one, although it's high-scoring game. Rams-Vikings, same thing here. I'm going to talk about this. Vikings and Rams. Vikings shouldn't win this game. It's a home game for them. Um, LA's favored by three and a half. LA's playing their best ball. Matthew Stafford has came back and found it. They get a tough, gritty win against the Seahawks on Tuesday coming off a short week. And I think they lose this game. The Rams lose this game. They need this win to help separate themselves against the Cardinals with the Cardinals with a really tough matchup. And I just think they're going to lose this game only because of that 
Rams are playing too well. Vikings are looking too inconsistent. And the Vikings pick up a huge needed win to make the playoffs. I think this Vikings team, if their head coach wasn't such a pussy jackass, this Vikings team would have won a lot of games. As soon as he gets up one score, he acts like he's up 40 and he just runs the ball into the ground. And I know Dalvin Cook's a good back, but they don't run the same offense <laughs> that scores them the points as they do when they're losing and then teams oftentimes come back on them. It's just really, really funny. So it'll be interesting to see where this Vikings and Rams lineup ends up going. But uh, I, I like the Vikings here. Uh, Justin Jefferson, I think, torches the secondary. A lot of people talk about how good this Rams defense is, and I've seen them go against star wide receivers, and they get routinely torched. Um, even against the Seahawks, guys were running, running wide open. Russell Wilson really just couldn't throw it to him. Um, Bills and Patriots. Uh, I think the Bills lose this game. Now, it was a tough game when they played, and it was like 30 degrees. It's going to be another cold game, and the Bills can't run the ball, and the Patriots can. So I expect another game where Mac Jones hands the ball off a whole hell of a lot, and they say, hey, Bills defense, please stop me. I'm going to take all the time out of the ball. I'm going to force your quarterback to throw the ball 38 times against my very good secondary, and we'll see where this game ends up. The Patriots are favorite. It's at home, Foxborough. Um, even though the Patriots got exposed a little bit, and this, this offense isn't as good as everyone kind of led to believe, the Colts are a really good team, so I think that uh, the Bills, you know, after sliding, losing a bunch of games in a row, they lose another one here, even though they stopped the bleeding last week. Jags and Jets, I like the Jags in this one. I think that last week they showed improvement. I think they're going to hand the ball off to James Robinson. I think they need to get Trevor Lawrence going, and this is the game against an injured and depleted Jets team where the Jaguars offense finally clicks, although it's only for one week. That should be a really fun uh, high-scoring game but not really a great game overall. Giants and Eagles. I think the Eagles are a much better team. The Giants are absolutely lost. Jake Fromm is the starting quarterback. Uh, I believe he's racist too, right? Is that the right Jake Fromm? Um, but Jake Fromm, I believe, is starting in this game. If um, Daniel Jones... Yeah, Daniel Daniel Jones is out. Um, Barkley's questionable. Kadarius Tony's questionable. Kyle Rudolph's questionable. Um, Jalen Hurts is questionable for this game, and so is Miles Sanders, but I assume both of them will be happy. And you have one of the best backups on this Eagles roster in Gardner Minshew. Buccaneers and Panthers. I think the Buccaneers win this game, but I think it's really, really close. It's a 10-point spread right now, and I don't think that's uh, giving enough credit to how consistent this Panthers team is and how beat up this Buccaneers defense is. And if they kind of showed... You know, the Saints kind of showed the road. So if anyone could replicate it, the Panthers have a talented secondary and they're looking to just run the ball and, and keep it out of Cam Newton's turnover-worthy hands. Uh, this could be a good matchup. Chargers with a really, really tough loss, overtime loss to the Chiefs that like literally could have paved the way for them to win the division and possibly getting a two or one seed. Um, I think they come back and take out all of their anger on the Texans. This Texan team isn't very good. The secondary gets beat in and out. I think the Chargers um, defensively have some things to still figure out. Um, they let up way too many points with how talented they are. I don't know if it's scheme-wise or stuff like that, but uh, don't be surprised if the Chargers end up putting a whole lot of points on this Texans roster. Um, Bears, Seahawks, this is, an, this is a miserable game. I think the Seahawks defense is really going to make the Bears days a hell, especially if Matt Nagy is still making play calls because Matt Nagy, in all honesty, is a stinking pile of shit when it comes to offensive play calling. But the Seahawks overall just aren't a very good team. Um, Steelers and Chiefs, uh, oh yeah, I'm picking the Seahawks. They're six and a half point favorites. The Bears are awful. Um, another year of rebuilding. Justin Fields is good. I'm going to quick talk about Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is put in a really bad situation. 
when Darnell Mooney, who is a good receiver, is your best receiver, and he's probably a really, really good two, um, but he isn't close to being a one receiver, especially how young he is in this league. Um, with Allen Robinson injuries and guys missing and stuff like that and poor quarterback play, um, I think if the if the Bears are going to do something smart, they can do two things. Invest in the defense who's getting older and stuff like that, or pick up a wide receiver. I would like to go wide receiver um, let go of Allen Robinson, get a guy who can stay more consistent, more healthy, that can be in a number one wide receiver, um, invest in a lineman, and uh, look at someone on the defense. And this Bears team could be one of those teams that makes the jump with Justin Fields in his second year. Um, Broncos, or Steelers Chiefs, I think the Chiefs should blow them out, but I think this is going to be a weird close game where the Steelers pick up a win because they need to, and the Chiefs, although they pick up a very emotional win last week, lose because that's just the way the NFL has been this year. But I really like way this Chiefs team is playing, they've figured out, hey, we should get the ball to our two best players consistently and on time, and that'll help us win games, and it has been. Um, Broncos and the Raiders, uh, this game is for relevancy on playoffs in the AFC. Um, Broncos need to win this game. Drew Locke is probably going to be the guy because I think that um, our boy Teddy Bridgewater is going to be out. Oh, he's not even listed. So Teddy Bridgewater might be back. He was out um, for part of the week, I know, with concussion. So it'll be interesting to see who starts Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. I think you got to go Teddy Bridgewater at this point because, or sorry, Drew Locke at this point because Teddy Bridgewater is a capable quarterback, but he isn't going to win the game. He's very injury prone and he doesn't make your team better. And I know Drew Locke is the high low guy, but um, let, like, this season's over. I don't think getting in the playoff, you're not a good enough team to win, but I don't, I don't think the Raiders are necessarily going to win this game. I mean, it's a throw up. Uh, I, I I think it's the Broncos. Washington Cowboys. Washington's injured, sick, COVID. Cowboys win by a billion. Uh, Dolphins Saints is the Monday night game. Uh, this is really important game for both teams here, and I'm going to take some time to break it down. So the Saints offense is awful, and I think the Dolphins offense is pretty awful, especially when Jalen Waddle was out last week with COVID. Now he should be back, but there's a lot of limitations that Tua puts on this offense, which I think a lot of people don't quite understand on how limited this offense is with Tua. Um, and they require him to Drew Brees this offense, but he's not as good as Drew Brees, obviously. And this Saints team played Drew Brees a lot. I think there's a lot of uh, similarities between the way Drew Brees threw. And we just saw what the Saints defense did to a guy like Tom Brady getting after him. I know Tua can move a little bit around, and I don't think the O-line is as bad, but I think that this is going to be a defensive battle. I can't imagine the over-under being that high. But in the same breath, this Saints offense is so inept. I mean, they literally couldn't do anything. They had good field positioning all game, and they just were like, no, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't... I mean, it'd be cool if I, if I won, but I don't really need to win. And uh, I still can't believe they paid all that money to... Um, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? I always do that where like I completely blank on names when I need to say them, even though I've said them in my head. Um, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill isn't very good. I mean, he's completing 55% of his passes. He uh, has thrown two TDs to five INTs. This offense just sucks. Trevor Simeon, I mean, was technically playing better. He was completing 57%. And then obviously Jameis Winston was completing 59%. But there's not really any playmakers on the outside. But Taysom Hill literally limits this offense by a, a, a grand amount. And I think that the Saints are in a bad place with him as quarterback. And I don't believe how they can pay him his money. Sean Payton's, like, so, Sean Payton's a really 
really smart guy, but I think sometimes smart people get in their own way sometimes, and he wants to make it work so well to prove everyone, I know I'm so smart, and this doesn't work. I think this is going to be a low-scoring, ugly Monday night football game where the Dolphins end up scoring a late TD and probably winning this. I just I, I just don't know how to favor this team that you know so few points are going to be scored in. Um, so that's the NFL. Um, NBA, I'm going to talk about the Christmas Day games. Because Christmas Day games, and in all honesty, I like Christmas Day basketball games more than I like Christmas Day NFL games. Mostly because it's a short week for NFL teams. They're not really into it as much as the NBA players are. Lakers-Nets. Going into the season, we thought this was going to be a hell of a matchup. Brooklyn's only favored by one for whatever reason. And I know NBA spreads aren't huge, but this isn't going to be a game. Like, this isn't going to be close. I think the Nets poured on, uh, kicked the shit out of this team. Now, I know the Nets have a bunch of people out with um, COVID. Blake Griffin is day-to-day, but David Duke Jr., Kessler Edwards, Cam Thomas, and Kyrie Irving are all out. But the good news with that is that all those players aren't really their number one guys. But Kent Baymore, Avery Bradley, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, and Trevor Reza are all out. Um, I I, I think that... um, Let me look... Los Angeles Lakers. And Anthony Davis is obviously out too. So this is a very limited Kendrick Nunn's out. Kent Bazemore, Avery Bradley. This team, I don't think it's going to be a very, very close game just because of how, how I, I, I guess, I think this was going to be built up a lot and so people want to make it a betting line and a lot of people love betting on the Lakers in the same way that mission games are usually a lot closer because people love betting on Michigan. Um, I think the Nets pretty much dominate this game. They're not in the same realm right now. Hawks-Knicks rematched the playoff series last year. Both of these teams have been struggling. Knicks could use this win and catapult themselves. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to be in MSG. Um, that's going to be a fun game to watch. If you guys haven't watched that or or don't watch that, I would, I would, I would tune into that game. Celtics-Bucks. Um, Celtics have started off the year really badly. Bucks started off the year really badly. Celtics have rebounded. Okay, Bucks have rebounded really, really well where they're 21 and 13, and they have a bunch of dudes out, and they've still been playing good basketball. Um, injury report, it looks like pretty much everyone is healthy uh, for this one, so it should be a fun matchup. I think that's going to be a defensive battle. Um, they're playing in Milwaukee, which I'm surprised about. They didn't have it in the uh, Boston Garden, but oh well. Warrior Suns, this is the game day. Uh, it's on at 3, so 5 o'clock. I mean, it's the primetime ABC. Uh, this is going to be a really fun game. These two teams are incredible to watch. They both play similar styles where they have one really good player, Devin Booker for the Suns, Steph Curry, but they move the ball effectively. They pass the ball. They shoot the ball. They do so many good things that uh, it's going to be really fun to watch, especially with everyone being pretty much healthy on both teams. Steph Curry averaging 27 points a game, and both of them coming off of uh, wins last night. So that's always fun when teams are playing their best basketball heading into this Christmas Day game. The Warriors are, uh, Steph Curry had 46 last night. Um, He's looking to have a really, really big day um, as they beat the, as they beat the Grizzlies. Um, Moving on, uh, we are going to be wrapping it up. The last game are the Mavericks and the, oh shit, I completely forgot. It's the Mavericks and someone, oh, Mavericks Jazz. And we see this Mavericks Jazz series, um, I think being able to watch Luke is a lot of fun. 
Um, but this Jazz team is much better than this Mavericks team right now. Um, this Mavericks team's searching for identity with their head coach um, and head player having a bunch of issues. So I don't think that game is going to be really close. But being able to see Luka go out there and ball is going to be a lot of fun and a very put together, well put together Jazz team. So that is going to wrap up my podcast today. I gave you about an hour, 45 minutes of the live stream. Like I said, that's going to be posted up on YouTube. Um, I'm going to, you know, edit this and put this all together. So it should be fun. I appreciate this. And if you watched all the way to the end, I'm going to give you a second goodbye. Hope you and everyone in your family stay safe out there this holiday season with everyone being drunk, you know, kind of dingleberries this time of year. So stay safe. If you need someone, call an Uber. Don't drive home drunk. The roads are usually dangerous up in the north and stuff like that. So as always, the corners have been painted. You have a wonderful holiday season.